life can be taken away from you at any point in time. What are those things that you're frequently saying no to? What are those things that you are scared of that you aren't allowing yourself to live out to your full potential? Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, today we have Bassy. You're going to have to say it, man. I just, I'm going to screw it up and I'm so nervous. Say you got to try. You got to try it. Nope. You oh, gotta gosh, try it you're right. Enoidum. There you go. Enoidum. Come on. Yay, got we it. can do hard things. We can do hard things. Do hard things. I yes. love that. Listeners, Bassy is a husband, a father, a wannabe entrepreneur. He works for, works in CPG. Uh, for the company that makes maybe one of my favorite crackers and cookies, Oreos and uh, wheat thins. And he's just a kick-ass guy. Welcome, Bassy. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Sarah. Really, really excited to be here virtually slash I know. interviewing with you. I'm so glad you're here too. All right, my friend, where did you grow up? Uh, grew up, I consider home to be, I've, I've grown up a, a lot of different states, I would say, but I say I did most of my growing up in, uh, uh, up in Michigan, uh, grew up in a town called Okemos, uh, okay. just outside of East Lansing for those, uh, Spartans that are listening, go green. <laughs> where you know I have no idea what that college. means, but okay. What? Wait, you live what? in Ohio. You don't know I about don't. the big, you know about big, do you know what Iowa what? state is? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, great. That's okay, good to know. Great, All right. I know that. So yeah. one of the competing schools in the conference for the Big Ten oh, is also yes. Michigan State. University of Michigan. Oh, no, no Michigan State. No, oh, no, completely, oh, completely. God. No, you cannot, oh, cannot crisscross. God. Cannot oh, crisscross God. those schools. So remember this. Okay. Michigan yes. State is green and white. Yeah, and that other school that will not be named that will is not this be ugly named. blue and maize Gross. or some gold color. It is. Ugh. Yes, exactly. Living up in like in that part of Michigan, what's that like there? Like it was it a lot of industrial like car what was it like? Yeah, um my wife and I, we, yeah, my wife and I we frequently take trips back up to Michigan and again I when I grew up there I didn't know any different, right? You're just like, Hey, all the kids are having a great life and access to everything that we needed at that point in time. Um, but now being older and be able to look back on what uh, that area has and doesn't have and what they're trying to aspire to grow into uh, has been quite difficult for the area because so much of it had been driven off of the car manufacturing. And mm-hmm. a lot of that manufacturing has moved to different places across the U.S. or down south of the border. And, and it drove the economy so much that as we go up there to visit, there's a lot of things that we've come to love here in Cincinnati because of the diversity of the industries here, right? And mm-hmm. the income and the households that you can bring on in versus what Lansing is is able to go on and do. And so it's like this quiet, Did your dad sleepy, work? Did your dad um, work in that industry? Yeah, so, yeah, so we'll give a little bit of background there. So my parents are originally from Nigeria. So my, my brother and I were first generation born here in the United States. Okay. Uh, my parents met 
randomly at a funeral somehow, some way. I don't know how <laughs> that one happened. It's the story they continue to tell me. It could at least be like a really interesting dating app. <laughs> how to meet a new guy. Just hit the funeral. Okay. Just hit him up at the funeral, right? It's like the yeah. opposite of uh, old school or what was it? Uh, wedding crashers. Right. That's wedding crashers. Wedding well, crashers. then Will Ferrell did go to the funeral. He did remember? do it at the very yeah. end, right? He's yeah. like, I was trying, yeah. to, trying to relive it, right? Um, yeah, so they, they met at some funeral in Africa. They decided to move over to the U.S., chasing the American dream. Um, and yeah. then somehow my mom came here first. She landed in like Kansas or something like that, then found her way up to Utah, where my dad then met up. And then um, they subsequently had myself and my brother. Um, unfortunately, they, they separated mm-hmm. while we were in Utah. Uh, and my mom had custody of us while we were there. And okay. then where did we move from there? Then we moved from uh, Utah to a little bit northern Michigan. It's called Big Rapids, where Ferris State University is. So it's right along Lake Michigan. Um, was there for a couple of years. Then moved over to um, uh, California to live okay. with my dad, both my brother and I. Um, another story, maybe another day, depending on how much time we have. Um, but you can use this as an opportunity to talk about mental health. My mom suffered from a bipolar disorder and depression. Um, and so due to that, right, my dad ended up winning custody of us. And so we ended up moving over to live with him in California for a couple old, of years. How old were you when that happened? I uh, wish I could remember all the dates on here. So I was probably somewhere between eight and 10. Oh, you were little. 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. Little. Did you know um, that she was really sick? Didn't know what it was. Again, that's the the joys of being a kid. You don't really know what you don't know at that point in time. You just kind of go with the flow with wherever your parents or family members or people that are close to you are kind of pulling you one way or the other. But yeah, um, the court system is is not a beautiful place for kids. Um, mm. Nor is um, nor is the the foster care system, which is where my brother and I spent some time in as well. So really. Um, yeah, uh, my my wife always, my wife always uh, looks at me and just gawks. She's like, "How did you get here?" Yeah, how did um, you make it? Yeah. <laughs> was your? I'm a, sorry. Did you tell me your brother was older or younger? Um, yes, yeah, so my brother was. Uh, my brother was younger. Unfortunately, I have to say, was he? Um, he passed away um, oh. about eight years ago uh, due to complications of uh, type one diabetes. Um, oh, so yeah. <laughs> another i got lo- so many stories how much time do you have sarah <laughs> we have all the time in the world <laughs> all the time in the world all right so i'll finish with this piece and we can parlay him into the rest so yeah so um my dad had one custody of my brother and i we moved out to california we lived just outside sacramento california was okay. there for a total of four years um and then uh, we moved back to Michigan with my mom. So my mom had uh, finally finished her college degree. She got her pharmacy degree and then um, had landed in Okemos, Michigan, which was one of the most prominent areas inside the area. She wanted to make sure that her her kids got a really good education. So uh, we got just that, right? Going to one of the best schools with inside the area, Okemos. Um, So Bassie, hold on a minute. So she loses custody. She gets healthy. She mm-hmm. becomes a pharmacist, which yeah. is not easy to do. Right. She gets custody back? Kind of, I would say. Okay. Uh, it, was, okay. it was a little bit of a negotiation. One, my brother was a little bit of a rebel uh, growing okay. up. He didn't like to follow the rules. My dad ran a household that was very militaristic. It's like, mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. do things in this certain mm-hmm. way. And let's just say, no matter how hard my dad tried to whoop the crap out of him, he just wouldn't yeah. comply, wouldn't comply. And so my dad's yeah. like, 
this is bye bye. Yeah, <laughs> and Lil, not Lil bye is bye, what but it was. Yeah. It, Lil go Lil to your mother. Go to your mom, right? So he had sent my brother to my mom, and I think it was about a year that my brother was with my mom, and I had asked like, "Hey, I want to visit. I want to visit. I want to go see my mom. I also want to be able to." hang out with my brother, with my mom, who wasn't right. as strict, right? You get to have a little bit more fun. Um, so yeah, so the intent when I came over from, again, my dad still technically had full custody of us, uh, both of us technically at that point in time, but the intent was for us to, or for me to go and visit for a summer. And so mm-hmm. this is the summer before my freshman year of high school. And okay. so I came to Okemos to visit. And during that visit, we said, hey, I think I was supposed to stay for maybe two months. We asked for another month. And then we asked them, hey, can I just stay for my freshman year of high school? And then never really heard back from them again. Never again? Never again. But throughout the high school and college and the the last time I saw him, can't remember the year. I want to say it was 2015. It was after my, after my brother had passed. And yeah. I had taken him to my brother's gravesite for him to say bye to my brother because he hadn't, mm-hmm. he wasn't there for my brother's funeral. So, yeah. So that was the last time that I saw him was when my brother passed. Did he remarry? Um, don't believe so. No, it's okay. there's no. Like, there's like zero relationship, zero yeah. relationship there at all. Yeah, yeah. So, do you do you think of yourself as first gen? Oh, first yeah, generation sure. American. Yeah. And again, I definitely so because my parents came here and they literally almost dropped us off here. They, they, I, I give my mom crap on this one quite a bit because I've always, um, I've enjoyed language. I've enjoyed learning languages. And when I was in high school, like I took the Spanish classes that everybody took where they taught you to speak again, hola, adios, and that's about it. Um, (laughs) But for one of my first companies out of college, I had the the opportunity um, to travel around the globe. And part of my time was spent with a lot of people that were from a Spanish-speaking country. And then Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in Argentina and Venezuela, so I learned Spanish. But I spent my time for the project as my base was in Switzerland. So I learned a little bit of French and just picking up these languages. Oh, these are so cool. But I came back after all that. I was like, Mom, why didn't you teach me the native language that you guys came from? Her response frequently is, and I can understand this now. As, as they came here to the U.S., right, is mm-hmm. this is my mom was in her 20s when she moved to a completely different country. Like, imagine yourself no, moving to a I new cannot. country by yourself with your husband, get ready to have kids and everything else. Like, it is a frightening experience. But one of the key things that they wanted to do is they want to make sure that their kids could acclimate to the U.S. as much as they mm-hmm. possibly could. And mm-hmm. one of their fears was that if they taught us the native language, that it would drive us to have an accent. And if we had an accent growing up, that kids would make fun of us. Yeah. yeah. Little did they know that kids were going to make fun of me either way. Like I was this <laughs> tall beanpole kid. I was like, add the accent in there. At least I would have a reason to at least joke and have a little bit of fun with it all. Right. And I would have a language to go on and take on with it. So unfortunately, they did not teach me the the native language. So, um, but I've leaned into learning what I could of Spanish, which I speak Again, semi-fluently. Um, That's amazing. A couple shots of tequila usually gets a little bit better, or at least <laughs> I feel like it's better. <laughs> yes. Well, everybody does, really. Right. Yes. yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I was also curious, your mom, mm-hmm. I would think if, like, 
having your own experience with mental illness and knowing that that medicine can help with that probably mm-hmm. made her an even better pharmacist. Yeah, um, I would think so, right? Uh, my mom is amazingly intelligent. She really, mm. really is. And, and that's probably the thing that is the most disheartening for me is that mm-hmm. if this by these mental conditions were not an issue for her, the yeah. sky was truly the limits, right? And, right. and I think... I think the representation of who my brother and I have been and how we've grown up with inside of our careers is only just a direct reflection of, of getting that from both my mom and my dad, right? Um, right? But she could have done so much more had it not been for the limitations that she ended up having for it, right? So she ended up practicing yeah. pharmacy, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 years. And um, now she just, uh, I'd say she was, she worked really, really hard when she had to because she had two yeah. boys to feed as a single mom. Right. And I think it was a point in time after um, we had grown up. Right. Both mm-hmm. my brother and I mm-hmm. were graduated from college, both earning our own money. She didn't have to work as hard. Right. All she yeah. had to do is sustain for herself. She's like, do I still need to try to operate at this level or can I just sit on back? Right. Which, again, there's been a number of instances that have happened with her with her bipolar disorder. It's been a big driver for a lot of the challenges um, that she didn't have to fight so she said hey we'll, t- we'll yeah. press the easy button for lack of a better term again she deserves right, it, right, right. all the hard work and everything she, she does to overcome so mm-hmm. yeah uh what did your brother so was your brother pretty successful too yeah um the the, the most unfortunate piece was is that he never got to realize his full potential mm. so he also graduated from michigan state also graduated um with a mechanical engineering degree, just like myself. And, uh, Oh, I didn't know that's what your degree was. Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't go into that. I did for a hot second. Um, you're you're scoping out my LinkedIn. If you scrolled all the way down to the bottom, (laughs) 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 I'm looking at Mia right now. If if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you guys, Mia, uh, Mia is our producer and Mia and I were totally (laughs) stalking, Bassie ahead of time. So that's what he's talking about. Uh, if I scroll all the way down, I would see what? You'd see my first job was with yes. Nestle as a I research, saw that. Right? As a research okay. and development engineer is what I started off okay. with them as. So I started off with them as a research development engineer. Had an amazing but why boss. Did you leave? Why well, didn't you want to do that? So I was with them for 12 years. And in the span oh, of the 12 years, the diverse skill sets I was able to acquire, right, was absolutely amazing. And I, I, there's so many things I can't thank that organization enough for the opportunities that they gave me. My staff was R&D engineer. My boss was from France. He need, he recommended me to get more experience that I needed to go do this international assignment. So I was really scared. As again, this is a kid that only lived in Michigan, primarily so yeah. stayed at home. I had moved to St. Louis to work right after graduating from college. Okay. And I had, I was in my mid twenties. I had lots of friends. He had Soulard street, all these great places, downtown St. Louis that I didn't want to miss out on all the fun that my friends are going to have if I was doing some international assignment. I was like, I never had aspirations to really leave the U S I was like, okay, we're having a good time. We're going out, we're partying in, have a little bit of money in my pocket, still have a little sure. bit of credit card debt, freedom. Debt, you know, all that stuff. Right. Freedom was great. Um, but at a, um, you asked how I made it, right. Was one other thing. 
is we had um, both my brother and I, we had very close family friends that really played a huge support system for us whenever my mom got sick and would not absolutely would not be here um, without them. We referred to them as our white moms, right? And so mine was, mine was Leon and my brothers was Lisa and they were legitimately these, um, these guardian angels for us to where our mom wasn't able to help support us in some way, shape or form. They were there for us to help us get through and keep us all on track. So as I was um, presented with the opportunity to go overseas, my white mom, Leon, uh, I remember the conversation with her and she says, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. And I promise you all of the stuff that your friends are doing here in St. Louis, it'll be be here when you come back. It'll be here when you come back, go and do it. It'll be the best experience you'll ever have. And I remember being probably just a couple months in and being like, oh my gosh, I called her. I was like, this is absolutely amazing, right? And so the the work was, I was traveling to different manufacturing facilities for, for Nestle, helping them identify cost savings opportunities with inside okay. the operation facilities. So um, uh, their manufacturing facilities. So I spent time, usually the projects were three to four weeks in length. So you would go, I remember, again, Nestle's headquartered in Switzerland, so our base camp was in Switzerland. We do some training sure. there. They teach us the fundamentals and some of these processes. And then you go to a project in the UK. You'd be there for okay. four weeks. You get your weekends free. And so wow. you're like, hey, I'm going to yeah. go down to Paris for the weekend or I'm going to go over to Ireland for the weekend, right? And you come back and you do your work for the week and you kind of bounce around. Then your next project was in Argentina. It was there for four weeks. And then you still have your weekends to go out and explore the, the country. Um, or Buenos Aires and got to hang out. Uh, How long uh, did you downtown. do that? So I did that for, I think it was almost a year and a half. Okay. A year and a half total. So it was 13 countries in about a year and a half that I was able to, um, whether visit for fun or visit for these work projects I was doing. Primarily Western Europe um, is where I spent for the seas I went to was Budapest. Um, mm-hmm. But we did some Spain. Uh, we did Switzerland. Um, were you with your then, were you with your now wife? Oh, no, this, who no, this. this Swing and single, baby. Yeah, yes, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> this is way, okay. way, way before my, 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 my um, amazing queen <laughs> had shown oh! enough in my life. Um, yeah, so I did that All for right, a so couple of years. So the answer to yeah. your question is to, okay, how, how did I make the switch? So. During that particular project, I was exposed to the sales side of business. The biggest challenge I have when you go in to get your degree from college is they just focus you on that one degree. And they don't, unless you intrinsically say, hey, I'm going to do a minor in this, there's no exposure to anything else. And so I just went in engineering because everybody says you're good at math and you're smart. You should be doing engineering. So, okay, great. Did all the engineering stuff. But I didn't have a concept on how engineering was one of many cross functions with inside of a large organization. Like, it's hard for me to say that now. It's like, how did I not know that? But again, you're young. You don't know what you don't know. So doing all those projects, it gave me exposure, allowed me to see, hey, here's how a broad organization works. So we're doing one project in Budapest and we're helping the sales function. I was like, oh, I like this sales thing. How do I do the sales? So I started talking with some folks and then I eventually finished my uh, 18 months of that rotation. I came back to the U.S. and asked my boss, I said, hey, I want to make a transition over to sales. He says, hey, you know what? Um, I don't know anything about sales. Uh, You go knock on the doors you need to go knock on, but you have my blessing. Go for it. 
So I started knocking on some doors. And then that's when I was presented with the opportunity to move to Cincinnati my first time. So I ended up moving to Cincinnati my first time. uh, I want to say it was fall of 2008. And took on a business analytical role um, for for the sales team here, calling on a large grocery company that's based here in Cincinnati. (laughs) Everyone can guess that, yes. (laughs) Um, And I... um, um, moved up with inside that that sales function. So I was an analyst and then account manager. And um, I met my wife in 2009. So probably within six months. Um, it took me a little bit to mature enough <laughs> to lock it up. And so there's, uh, let's say there was some growing pains between the both of us at, at that point in time. But uh, we eventually moved with each other. She had moved to Chicago for a short stint and she moved on back. Okay. And then we moved together to St. Louis. We were in St. Louis nice. for a couple of years. We got engaged in St. Louis, got married in St. Louis, and then we moved back here to Cincinnati in 2015. Okay. And so 2015, you moved back here. And at, at what point do you realize, I love my job and I want to do some entrepreneurial things? Yeah. Um, I think the entrepreneurial thing was always ingrained in me in some way shape or form um i'd always listen to this podcast how i built this he was like it's it's amazing i know right Uh, i remember watching it from the very get-go and i think it was with um sarah blakely in spain oh my god totally agree that's one of the best episodes ever and it was one of their first episodes you're like oh my god that sounds so cool and they and, and they talk about the trials and tribulations of all the founders and everything else. And I'd always, I get done talking or listening to it. And I go talk to Jess, like, Jess, this is what just happened. This is how this company started and all these other things. And I always wanted to go on and do it, but I just didn't know how. Didn't yeah. know, didn't have the idea, right? And didn't have yeah. the, yeah. Um, um, let's just say the balls to jump off and go in to do something like that. Because that's what it really goes on and take. Um, yeah. So I, I think I always had it in me. Um, but there was uh, one life uh, event that really pushed me to open up my eyes to it was when my brother passed away. So okay. he ended up passing away. We talked about, I had mentioned earlier about him not being able to realize his full potential. He passed away at the age of 28. And it was oh, a really eye opening event for both myself and my wife. Um, he was legitimately my best friend. Um, and it was eye opening from the standpoint is that, hey, life can be taken away from you at any point in time. Mm-hmm. It really can. And, and, what are those things that you're frequently saying no to? What are those things that you are scared of that you yeah. aren't allowing yourself to live out to your full potential? Um, was was a lot of, I know it's a weird way to process the death, but those were some of the key takeaways that I took away from it. And I was like, okay, we can't continue to say no. You can't continue to be afraid of these things that may not actually have the impacts that you may think that they're going to have. What were so, you? What were you saying no to? What were you afraid of? Um, so, for example, is that I'd stayed with my company for twelve years up to that point in time. It's just like, oh no, this is a company that you you're supposed to stay into. And there's a couple of other job opportunities that I looked into. I was always just too afraid. It's like, no, 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 no. this is comfortable. This is safe. Like, you stay mm-hmm. right here. You got a pension. You got four hundred one k. You're growing with tenure. You they continue to promote you and all these other things. So just stay yeah. here because it's safe. Yeah. Um, and so after he had passed, it, it changed my mindset on that a little bit. And so um, I think we were back here in Cincinnati for probably about a year and a half. So we got here, what was it, 15, 15 to 17. Yeah, so we're almost here, almost two years. And I made uh-huh. the decision to leave that company. 
So I left that company, went on to work for Keurig. I was with Keurig. Oh, that's uh, cool. Keurig Green Mountain uh, for four years. During that time, they ended up doing a merger. And it was during that time we were then presented with the opportunity about Shred 415. And there was a close friend of mine um, who, he's again, like a brother for me now. Um, I think it was a big mentor. I mean, everything, all, all in one. And he had come in because I do a fundraiser every year in memory of my brother. Okay. Keep on forgetting some of these pieces. Um, I do a fundraiser in memory of my brother every year and I raise money for Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And so mm-hmm. I run the Flying Pig has um, become the quintessential race that I like to go on to do and do the fundraising around. And so we did that the year after he had passed for the first time when we came to Cincinnati to visit because we were in St. Louis when he had passed away. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the first year we raised like $1,100. The second year we raised like 2000 The next year we raised seven and then eight, then 15 And then this last year we raised twenty, almost $22,000 wow. for JDRF in the span of about six weeks. Right. Yeah. Um, so this guy, uh, Ron, uh, he was, um, he just came off visiting us, helping me run probably our fourth or fifth year of, of running the flying pig. And we talked about while he was here, legacy and what do we want to be when we grow up and what do we want to do for our kids to leave a legacy, whatever it's going to look like. And one of the things we talked about was owning your own businesses. And so we talked about different franchises and different things of what those can go on and be. And, and I will unequivocally say is that if him and I were having this conversation before my brother would pass, yeah. I would have not really lived into it. I'd be like, no, 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 that's too risky. I'm good. I've got my full-time job right. here. We're good. We're good. But I was now open to it. The light switched. Exactly. So light switch. So we didn't figure anything out that day that he was visiting, but he called me back a couple months later and he said, hey, do you know Shred 415 is franchising? I said, okay, tell me more. So he started talking me through the whole franchise piece and this, 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 and they'd already started going down the path of acquiring the rights for their locations. They were getting ready to move down to um, Georgia. And I said, okay. We're submitting our application. And obviously, I, I hung up the phone. I talked to Jess. Like, hey, Jess, I think we should do this and this, this, this. And she's like, yeah, I love it. And, and mind you, Shred 415, Jess, my wife had um, fallen in love with it when we lived in St. Louis. That was the first time we were exposed mm. to it. And so she worked out. Okay, there. so listeners, if you don't know what it is, it, it's called 415 because there are four 15-minute segments. And I'm yes. going to tell you what, uh, what I love about Shred 415 is – I did, um, I don't want to bash another one, but I did Orange Theory for a while and it was so competitive and I'm competitive, but I, I found myself wanting to run next to somebody who was in worse shape than I was just so that I could feel better. (laughs) And I tread, (laughs) I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I used to get next to the old women who were like 50 (laughs) fucking pounds overweight. Okay. Just so I can feel better. Anyway, it's the exact opposite. The <laughs> it's the exact, exact opposite. opposite. Exact opposite. Totally is. Exact like, opposite. There are people that, that look like every shape and size, every age group. Um, exactly. Actually, I like that it's diverse. Mm-hmm. I really do. Right. Um, it you just be in the anyway. dark room where you can't even see anybody yes. anyway, right? You yeah. can be in the dark room. Right. It's so yeah. lovely. And I feel like I'm not breaking, uh, you know, a muscle. Correct. Because I'm not right. pushing myself as hard as I did because of the numbers with 
Orange Theory. Anyway, right. yeah, wait, yeah. We, can we, I, avoid, I, we avoid being the competition, but you got to come back and see it. We got some new lighting inside there. I think you'd really. Oh, like really? It. Okay. Oh, oh, it's yeah. only been a couple weeks. It's only been a couple weeks. <laughs> I will be back in. But wait, hold on. Can can we talk about something that I think is really interesting? Is this yes. concept of legacy? Do you think? I, I always hear men talk about legacy a little bit more than women. And probably that's a stereotype. Uh, but I don't think about legacy so much. Or do you think it's because of a, a death that happens or your age? And I think I'm older than you. So mm-hmm. tell me about the legacy piece. I think it's interesting. I mean, I can make some assumptions as to why there's a difference between how men and women articulate it. And women potentially see legacy as more in their kids themselves. Yeah. Right. That's that's your legacy, right? You're the nurturers. You are the creators of these amazing beings, and we wouldn't be here without you by all means, right? So that's your legacy, mm-hmm. and you can't not find a mom that's not talking about their legacy, as in their kid, every chance they possibly can. That's such a good call. Yeah. So I'd say yes. You talk about the legacy. Now, does that make us dads horrible because we don't talk about our kids the same way? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but but for myself, uh, for myself, yeah. what um, this thing is, you talk about um, let's, let's talk about resources, right? In in terms of where I grew up, my parents moved here and they didn't have any money. We had to go through and build it on uh, on up ourselves. And there wasn't, um, let's say, the as my friend and I have been referring to it in terms of legacy. I want to leave something for my kids yeah. that's going to give them a step ahead that they can continue to build on and build on. Right. And and I yes. use the example of I had to pay for my college, um, had to pay for my college myself. And the question wow. would be is like. How far ahead would I be if I didn't have to pay for college? Because I spent my first eight years out of college paying back all my college debt. No way. Right. Eight years? I think it took me eight years. So don't quote me on that. But it took me a long right, time. Right. It's okay. It doesn't matter. But yeah. If, if I mean, I it does matter, but the exact date I, does matter. Yeah. yeah. If, if I, if I could have taken those same resources post-college and not had to pay back student loans, I could have bought my first, second, third home, build equity that could then, it's this whole snowball effect, right? Totally. Right, which again, a lot of my, let's call it out, a lot of my um, Caucasian family friends have access to those resources and didn't have to pay for those same things, which is great. Their family provided them with the legacy and resources wanted to do so. My friend and I, we want to create that same type of legacy for our kids. Um, and I would say theoretically, we could have done it just with doing our regular jobs. We're like, but we could do more. We know that we had the ability to go on and do more, which is why we kind of raised our hands uh, to go on and do um, this this uh, this shred thing. Which um, where do you think you got this this um, the gift for wanting to do more? Where do you think you got that from? Uh, one, it's early independence. Um, again, some of the challenges with my mom when we were young, like it yeah. was me and my brother um, really trying to navigate and do a lot of things our own. And again, in, in all fairness, right, there was still roof over our head. There was still food inside the fridge and stuff yeah. like that. But there was still quite a few things that you were pretty independent. And I've been working since I was 14 years old. Um, mm-hmm. So I've never been one to shy away from work. Um, but my mom was also, again, a hard work again for her to go on and get her pharmacy degree while working through 
bipolar depression, all the mental disorders and not having her kids because she was motivated and nothing was going to stop her from going and doing it. Amazing. Um, That's just so some of those things I think have been um, intrinsically built into me, which I'm hoping are going to transfer into my kids if I do it right. <laughs> And so that's where the pressure comes on myself to make sure I go on and do it right. Um, we had a, I had a guest, uh, uh, I don't think his episode's out yet, Paul Delaney, who's uh, from South Africa. And they moved here really as the apartheid was broken or whatever. He, he's white and his parents moved here nothing bad about South Africa, but there weren't as many opportunities that they had because, and he was like, and it was all good that the apartheid, you know, was broken up. But he said he had some first generation guilt. Do you ever have any first generation guilt? Guilt as in my parents. Like he had to work really hard because his parents sacrificed a lot to come here. Hmm. Maybe not deserving, you know, all the things that he got because they worked so hard. I had never heard of that concept before. And he hadn't either. He's like, I've never said that before. I don't know what made me think of that. But is it a driver? Maybe. Maybe let's take the word guilt out, but maybe it's a driver. Driver. Yeah. I don't know if it's first generation guilt or even driver. I, I think, again, the first generation thing only plays a role for me is because of the experience for myself is different than a lot of other people because I am a first generation, right? Um, uh, with my parents coming from Africa, there's a lot of things that um, inside of our household, Christmas wasn't as big of a thing as it was inside my wife's household, right? Because it wasn't right. celebrated in the same way. But now we're taking on those things and we're creating them here for our kids. But I think the the role of the previous generations is to establish a framework for which the next generation can then build on top of right and that's what my parents did right is as much as they possibly could with inside of their capabilities they built a solid foundation that thankfully i had a couple guardrails right let's call them my um close family friends and everything else to help make sure it's like hey no your parents are doing the best but you got to stay like right here great now i'm finally here and i'm starting to build on my layer here with my wife with our business with our community here in cincinnati so that the next layer can continue to go built on um, and again, it's the, what's critically important, right? As you build up those layers, if I continue with the metaphor is as you're looking yeah. over the edge and recognizing who are the backs that you're standing on top of that got you to where they are. Yeah. Recognizing as well that they may not have been perfect. There was definitely flaws in sure. how they went through and did it. But to be very clear, you're standing up on the level that you are right here today because of the work and the sacrifices that they went through and did. So if anything, I think my guilt would come from is disappointing them if I didn't mm. take advantage of the step above that they provided for me in this current life. Because that's what they're doing it for, right? Like any other parent, you look down, he's like, I want to give the best thing for my kid. Um, right. But I'm also at this balance is like, I don't want to make it too easy on them because I don't want them to sit up on the top of that and only just look up and not realize that, hey. There were some things that had to happen correctly in order for you to get to this particular point in time. So that's a another parenting podcast for us to have a conversation on how we go about doing that when our kids are too young right now. But. Uh, that could be a that it could be a podcast forever, it's a big series on that one. And I don't have kids, but talking to my siblings and friends, it's I think most people want to be able to do that. 
Right. Yeah. So definitely so. Over the years, I've coached executives and young professionals looking to embrace their strengths, level up their leadership, and find their dream careers. Just like my podcast guests, my clients have been stuck, but I've helped them navigate whatever challenge they're facing and find a way forward. That's the goal of our 10-week coaching program, Move Forward. Through my guests' best practices, our coaching tools, my team and I will help you discover your primary motivations and challenge the unhealthy and limiting beliefs that are holding you back. You'll use neuroscience to create new healthy habits and create a move forward plan for your future. If you're interested, you can visit failforwardpod.com backslash coaching to learn more and to sign up for a one hour exploratory coaching session. That's failforwardpod.com backslash coaching. For, for you, uh, you mentioned earlier about not being afraid, not saying no to things. What feedback or advice would you give people around that? How do you well, overcome you got, that? Well, you got to be willing to fail <laughs> because it's never going to, turn out perfectly if you're if you're not gonna be afraid of things because um and, and I, I always hate the word failure or the way that people have um adopted the definition of it to think that it's bad I right know. so you're yeah. talking to an engineer here where i was trained right all throughout school to do experiments to do controlled experiments yes. to clarify yes. right where you had the desired yeah. outcome of that you wanted to get from each one of these experiments and that there was going to be opportunities or chances where those experiences didn't give you your desired outcomes. Yeah. But what was it that you could take from the outcomes that you did get from the experiment that did not go the way you wanted to? How do you take the learning and then take it on and apply to your next go round in that second or third or fourth iteration? And so that's frequently the way I think about things is that, again, just Again, I think it allows me just to separate more the emotional because there's plenty of things that you could emotionally try to connect yourself to it. You're like, no, no, I'm not experimenting with that, right? And again, everything goes within reason. Um, but yeah. that was part part of the, the motivation as uh, my wife and I were talking about doing shred. We're deathly afraid yeah. about doing yeah. it, right? You've got to get so many financial linkages on everything. Yes. You're just like, you could literally lose your house and then everything else all on top of that. But you're like, okay, but what's the worst that can happen? And what mm -hmm. always gave me solace was that they can't take away my wife. They can't take away my kids. And those are the most important things that I have out there. And worst case yeah. scenario, I'm going to take some learnings. I saw some stat the other day. They talked about the most successful entrepreneurs failed at their first time. And then they came back and did it again. And they learned from the first one. So again, you go... Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, all of them have started, um, uh, Jeff Bezos, all of them have started other companies before they became successful and they failed at them. Yeah. But they took the learnings from those ones and they jumped on in again. So, you, so you all, and you all started Shred right when COVID hit? Yeah. How did so, you make it through COVID? Yeah. So we had started the process in 2018 is when okay. I had that conversation with my friend. All right. We submitted our application. We went up to their headquarters in Chicago, um, did the whole song and dance with them, got to know the franchise. And hey, here's what you can expect in the process all the way through. Um, we started looking for real estate. 
Uh, we then had our second child, had some challenges with him that put some delays on a couple of things, had some difficulties finding some real estate. And then finally, by the fall of November 2019, we found real estate. So we're like, yes, all right, we're heading yeah. down the right path. This is when I was working for Keurig. Um, and as we continue to push these, um, um, move the, the, the ball forward on it, um, Jess and I started to align, okay, what is it that we want to be with this franchise inside this community? So we laid out a lot of those things. We found the real estate, found the people that we wanted to hire and everything on else. And so we were doing a great job and doing some pre-marketing, build it all up, going into the spring of 2020. Yes. Um, we had just done our largest outdoor workout event uh, over at the Summit Hotel, and we were on a high when we finished. We had 50 people inside of one of their one of their large um, conference rooms. Did this amazing workout. We're like, sweet, we are heading with all these basic metrics that you want to measure on on a franchise location before you go and open. We're blowing past all of them. We're doing really, really good. Uh, yeah. And so we were about four weeks away from me quitting my job. That's what Jess and I had aligned to is that I was planning on leaving my job in corporate America, was going to go and run this thing full time. Because we felt that confident what we were going to do. Yeah. And, and then COVID hit. Oh, my gosh. Okay. How do you <laughs> mentally <laughs> pivot? So... <laughs> this is <laughs> quite a bit of a difference from the way that I worked and my wife worked, which I think it works perfectly for us is I am the type of person that when there is a crisis at hand, yeah, I don't spend time worrying about the crisis. I talk about how do you get through it? Let's get through this. Let's do this, 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 this. We're going on to the next step. Like you've, you've got to continue to fight because if you, ha you spend the time sitting here in my perspective, groveling and crying. Everybody has, everybody has to mourn things in their own particular ways. Yeah. But if you spend the time here, you're losing traction on being able to make your progress forward, right? Um, so when we had to make that pivot, I just made the pivot. It's like, okay, so we've got to hire a studio manager. We've got to change this, 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 this. But we still had a viable business, we believed. We just didn't know what the world was going to be and how we all look like. Together. Yeah. Right. We'd already started construction on our partner, uh, started construction on our our studio space. So we knew we had rent to pay. We'd already signed off on a couple of the loans from Crazy. the bank. So we know we had a mortgage that we still had to pay. So that's what pushed us. Like we have to still keep on going. We have to go on and make the pivot. So we continue to push it all the way forward. Um, and um, we end up successfully opening in July of 2020. But I want to say it was somewhere between, I want to say we had finally opened at that point in time. And I was talking with a friend or talking with my wife. And they were asking that same question. It's like, how were you able to just pivot off of like you had your foot, yeah, one foot out the door to do mm -hmm. your dream of being mm -hmm. the entrepreneur, all the things you want to go through and do, and you just pivot like it was nothing. And I was like, oh, you know what? You're right. I didn't actually mourn the death of this true dream mm -hmm. that I had. Like I still have it, right? Because we still had a viable right, business, right. but it just wasn't in the form that we originally wanted. And I remember bawling my eyes out. Like it finally caught up because I finally had yeah. stopped moving just long enough for it to catch up to me for me just to let it all come out. So I think that's a really, I think that is so awesome and beautiful because I do think 
something that even those that we might perceive as the toughest minded people and they don't right. let things bother them, it does catch up and you have to allow it and accept it. Right. And it just was at different times for you. Mm-hmm. I do also want to say one other thing though, is that a lot of people have started businesses, but they had to do two businesses at the same time. A lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say wholeheartedly, the only reason we're able to do, because my wife still has her full-time job. I still have my full-time job. We have two kids. The only reason why we're still able to operate in this manner today is because we have an amazing team around us, which has always been so that the was foundation. The that has always been the foundation that we always knew we had to operate. And again, these are, I, I call back to the skill sets that I acquired from my first company, Right is leading and developing team and culture. And then my wife brought those same skill sets from her experiences, from her career, leading, developing team. And it all starts with culture, starts and ends with culture. If you do not have a great culture, you are not going to make it. Well, you can make it places, but I wouldn't say you're not going to make it to places for very long. But we knew that's what we had to go on to do from the very foundation. So thankfully, since we had that mindset, we could make the easy pivot. We just had to find the right person to lead and operate the studio rather than That's myself amazing and that is what keeps us running today so on and our now team, and you gave that person an opportunity to to take that role correct yeah yeah without a doubt yeah. you gave so somebody else that mm-hmm. chance all right and so now we're able to again pass on our, our talents in terms of developing the team um we're on our I love that. um yeah i think we're on our third studio manager now, all good transition, all the right transitions that had to go on yeah. to happen. But they're all people that we get to lean in and support and develop. And I always like to talk to, even in my corporate job, I openly yeah. talk about um, what my career progression is and, and what I do for myself personally to fill my cup. And I think life is about this cup. We have a lot of things that poke holes in it that drain everything yeah. out of your cup. But we are in control and what we fill that cup back up with. We're in control of the environment and the people that we're around that potentially fill that cup in. So be intentional with what you're filling that cup back up with. And for me, it's my kids, it's my wife, it's shredded, right? That All that's pouring in to fill my cup. And then there's other things, whether it's work, sometimes shred is a drain on the other side yeah. of the cup. But you have the right team, you have the right processes that's, that's allowed us to sustain this. Everybody from our amazing team that runs the studio to our nanny that helps and supports us with our kids, to our good friends, Lisa, that just texted me, that continues to be our, our cheerleaders. Like it's, it's, it's all those things that we are in control of. And as much as we want to try and blame others, it's, it's truly, what is it that you want? I just had an amazing conversation with this young lady the other day that wants to be an instructor with us. And she talked about some of her challenges that she had growing up. And mm-hmm. when she went to college, she just wanted to get away from the city. She said, I just need to get out of the city. That was part of her motivation to go to go out of state for college. But when she was able to go out of state for college, she was able to mature for herself and then realize, okay, those things I'm running away from, I think I know how to go better handle them now because I've now developed the skill sets. And then she ends up moving back to Cincinnati. It's just an amazing story of her chasing mm-hmm. her dreams and being able to um, uh, put to bed some of the things and challenges that she had here. But she took control is a key point being and not blaming others. You have to take control of it yourself um, and, and own what that's going to look like for you. That is a beautiful ending. Fill your cup. Love that. Bassie, thank you so much for being on today. You're such 
I was going to call you a stud. And then I was like, I, I mean, I don't mean it like, you know, but you're, <laughs> you are such an amazing human being. So thank you so much for being on today. Thank you again for the privilege, Sarah. Absolute pleasure to be here um, and, and tell you my, my short, my very short story that hopefully I'm going to continue, <laughs> continue on yes. writing. That's right. Thank you, my friend. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.